listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. Welcome back, listeners, viewers. I'm Daria Brown, Affect Autism. We chose play. I'm back this week with our favorite OT, Maud LaRue, in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. She runs a total approach and the Maud LaRue Academy. And we had a wonderful podcast about vestibular processing a few months ago. And we mentioned in that podcast, we would follow up with some information about the visual system, visual skills, visual processing. And so we're diving full force into vision today. Welcome back, Maud. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Um, um, if, I, if I do start coughing, it's because I'm coming off from a cold. So please forgive me if that happens. It's going around, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness, and full force. And I've been traveling again. So the traveling routes have opened up. And so it's been backwards and forwards. So no wonder. You know. And when Maud travels, she's traveling from Pennsylvania to South Africa. <laughs> so it's not a little bit of a travel. <laughs> so, so yes, <clears throat> I made a couple of notes, actually. Usually I don't talk really from notes, but um, but it's to, to freshen up my mind in order for what I thought that we kind of started with the whole vestibular, the talk and discussion, to talk about the visual system, because it's so, such a complex, complex, complex system. And it holds so many pieces in for doing the DIR floor time method. Um, I don't know where you would like me to start, Daria, but I will maybe just start with this piece, is that vision is something that doesn't quite develop in the womb. The systems get to be in place, but really you only start seeing after birth. You know, and first black and white and then color and then all of the rest starts developing after that. Um, and there's a lot that has to go into it. But I think that the biggest piece that we talk about most in, in the DIR method is the visual spatial skills. Um, and that, and that, so let, let me just segue for um, listeners that might be new. Maud is a DIR expert training leader. That's the developmental individual differences relationship based model. And we talk about the I being the individual differences which includes many factors, family factors, biological factors, but also sensory processing profiles of the child that we're talking about, as well as the parents when you interact. And vision is part of that sensory processing. And I know that my son, had a lot of kids on the spectrum and neurodivergent children have different issues that come up around visual processing, visual spatial processing. I will say that um, my son has been at Maud's clinic many times over the years for intensives that we talk about in season two of We Chose Play, if you want to learn more. But one thing that's very prominent in him, and I don't need Maud to address my son, but just as an example for why we are having this podcast, uh, in my son's case, he loves watching things move. So he's constantly as a baby watching flags blowing in the wind. 
He loved throwing pine cones and watching them fly onto the roof. He loved water, watching water. He loved any kind of things flying. So he threw everything. Um, he's always throwing stuff. When it's, um, he seems to have some kind of interest in dark and light. Um, he, right now, his latest thing is turning off all the lights all the time. Um, he, he always has something going on with his eyes and he's always going like this, like opening his wide, eyes really wide and blinking from time to time. Um, I always know, and when he had severe brain inflammation at age two, they said that his quote unquote structure of his eyes were for fine, but the visual processing piece is the back of the brain that got severely damaged. And we could see that he was literally looking through us the first few days, like he couldn't see. And then you could see him start to focus. And I had spoken with someone who had brain inflammation as an adult by chance in a library at a train table a few months after that or the next year. And he said when he came out of his brain inflammation, he could only see black spots everywhere. And I thought that's what, what my son was going through. So when we talk about vision and going to the eye doctor, they're sort of checking your 2020 vision, whatever. And then we talk about going to a developmental optometrist who tests depth perception, peripheral vision, found out my son had astigmatism and, and is, was not um, using both eyes equally. He was suppressing the sight in one eye. So he has glasses to help him see out of both eyes equally, which helps processing with reading and different things. And then there's um, all of the stuff that I assume Maude will cover what I just said, but also all the other stuff, which is you know more the sensory stuff and less about what eye doctors check. <clears throat> you know what? You could have just done this podcast. Aria. No. Summarize <laughs> no. this so well. Um, as I've gotten to know you over the years, I'm not surprised. So um, she's like a sponge, you know, she just takes in information. So um, I couldn't have said it better. But I think you've given us a nice platform to talk about several directions. Um, and I do want to, before we end the podcast, just go over the levels and sort of where the vision sort of plays a role in terms of maybe in the functional emotional developmental huh? capacities of the dir floor time model the d for development in the model you got it. and and she's so good about this you know because i never introduce myself and that's a that's a very big flaw in my makeup because uh, i just go with the topic but anyway so thank you for that daria um yes fedc's functional emotional developmental capacities and so in the DR method, we are very concerned with that emotional understanding of the body and how it connects to my cognitive skill, connects to my social skill, connects to my functional skill. The visual system is a huge driver of intrinsic curiosity about what's happening around me. I see something happen. Oh, what's happening? What's going on there? The neighbors are shouting to each other next door. Let's see, <laughs> right? We want to see, we're curious. Maybe for reasons of gossip, but maybe also for reasons of learning, hopefully. And that's for our kids, right? So when kids have issues, we must delineate that there's almost like maybe five professions around the, the visual system. And unfortunately, not all of them even talk to each other but they're working with the same system. So if you talk about an ophthalmologist, you're talking about somebody that's concerned with the medical condition of your eye, 
the, the health and the well-being of your eye. If you're talking to a regular optometrist, he wants to know if you're seeing 2020 or less or more. If you're talking to a developmental optometrist or some some countries talk about a behavioral optometrist, you're talking about somebody that looks a little bit deeper than 2020 and looks at how the eyes are moving together, as you were saying, the astigmatism, but also the binocular fusion of the eyes and all of those nice oculomotor musculature that has to make the eyes work together. But those pieces are really much more refined in typical development by about the age of five, that oculomotor pieces. But on my way in that development, there's several wonderful pieces that unfold. Um, and part of those pieces is what we use in play all the time. So when we're looking at sort of the FEDC one and two, you're looking at object constancy and, and seeing that, oh, this mobile that my mommy hang, hung up for me in my crib is, is a certain shape and, I, and I, I want to reach out and touch it as my eye-hand coordination starts to develop. And yes, in the beginning, I can simply maybe swipe at it and I don't know the distance between myself and that mobile, but you know what? It drives my visual curiosity. And that sort of starts putting in a little bit of perception between myself and somebody else. And then the, the whole beautiful place of my mommy bonding with me and looking at me in the eye. I think it is John Balin that talks about that 14 inch distance between mommy and baby. That's this visual piece between um, baby at mommy's breast. And that, and that how much of a bonding piece that is. And you know from a baby, when the mommy is cooing at the baby, the baby is like, watching the mommy and the mouth starts to make some movements to try and see what mommy is doing and so the mirror neurons which we talk about a lot when we talk about autistic behavior it's activated by this visual system as also the auditory system and the touch system but especially we can see the visual component coming in and that mirroring of what this entity is providing the baby is then basically the first premises of of bearing a self-identity so my visual system from the get-go drives my social engagement system which is what Porges talks about quite a lot and so which is why a lot of people are always concerned about my child doesn't make eye contact he doesn't want to make eye contact but eye contact is something that's driven by my social motivation it's not really always that it's a specific skill of its own. It's sometimes a symptom of the social engagement that is broken down and therefore I can't maintain that contact. But there can be something also physically going on with the eyes. Um, so I, I can talk about this for two weeks. So I'm not gonna do that because I think I'll bore everybody. But, um, but what I want you to think about is that this first pieces is why in DIR, we consider the child as a social engaging entity from the get-go, from in utero, in fact. Visual system after birth, though, right? Um, and, and that we, if we can look and discern what that object is and how that object is hiding from me and how peekaboo is causing me to be visually excited and then to, to take my vision away, that. I withdraw my vision when I feel sympathetically aroused. That beginning part of life is part of that in and out, that ebb and flow of 
seeing and then hiding and seeing and then hiding, which is why the game of peekaboo is such an important game for more than one reason, but this is one of them. So in from that driving of that system, um, please interrupt me if there's a question on anything, Daria, um, because I love the visual system. I can talk about it forever. The um, But from that system, when I start crawling and I start to get into this whole idea about walking and you know crawling and talking and and doing more than one thing together at the same time even just in the beginning pieces it's my visual system that drives me to propel my body forward oh there's that red ball and now i want to use my body to get there so when you talk about your son that loved to see things flying that loved to throw something in the air and watch it and he would have that I remember that face so well when he when he smiles when that happens, right? Um, that visual movement is part of that development. And that moving my body after my vision, but then using my vision also in motion is what's all part of developing that beautiful word we call visual spatial skill. And so in a short frame, visual spatial skill is when I can focus on you on the screen. But if my dog passes me, I know from my peripheral vision that he's passed me or that he's sitting right beside me right now saying, why aren't you playing with me? Why did you open your laptop one more time? Right. So I can feel his face. I can see the, the part of his fur, but I'm not looking at him. The moment I look at him, that's my central vision. So when kids play and they tend to be all over the place and they can't settle in one place, they may be overactivating that peripheral vision system that they're responding to all the distractors from that peripheral vision. When kids don't like a lot of things going on behind them and they want to focus like this with tunnel vision on a task, they might be wanting to withdraw peripheral vision and only focus with central vision which changes the way I can adapt to my space. And so when kids do things like, um, like flying mobiles and flying projections, it's one way of exploring their space and using vision to explore that. That may be one possible reason. Another good reason why that may be there is when kids don't access their vestibular system very well, they can use their visual system to access movement for their body, which increases their internal body awareness from an external source. So there are plenty of reasons when you see kids do this in front of the eyes and they finger flick, and they do things to make movement happen and they're looking at it and they're looking at the wheels of the car and, they, and they're over-focusing on the wheels of the car. They are focusing on activating movement through vision. It does not mean, everyone, that that child is now becoming a visual learner, okay? A lot of people make that misconception um, as, as a truth. It's not. It's actually quite a maladaptive way of using the vision, which doesn't mean we must go ahead and stop everybody from doing that. We must join them the floor time way, join them and then withdraw them from there, right? We're going to deflect from there. But the 
But the essence is, is that they're trying to accommodate for the vestibular system through the visual system. And all of these pieces, as soon as you have to put in accommodation, you're not strengthening either system, really. I want to say to everyone out there that even though I know there are books about visual learners and there's books about the visual system and autistics, I know them. I've got them on my shelf. What I found to be true is that every single child that's come to me as a visual learner, I have found visual deficits in testing. And I will say that to you 99.9%, simply because I can't remember everyone, but it's a high number. And so what we, as soon as one system tries to take care of another system, it's accommodative. It's not using that system in the pristine, beautiful way that it was created to be. And so, so these are all patterns of behavior where the child has figured out because something wasn't where it was needed to be, something else comes in to support, okay? So we talked about this a lot in the last podcast on vestibular processing. I'll refer listeners to that podcast. I'll put the link to it in the blog post at affectautism.com with this podcast, where when there's an imbalance and other systems are, are compensating for another. So in this case, the vestibular system, your sense of balance, your sense of, you know, you against gravity um, and the visual system, one compensating for the other. Um, we talked about the, the need for kids to move and you talked about all the variations of that. And you're saying that vision can be one way that they try. And I, I, I'm trying to understand what you meant by access their vestibular system. <clears throat> the vestibular system needs input. But okay. now if my body has praxis issues, so I'm not utilizing my vestibular system in the most productive way. So let's define praxis issues. The praxis is when my brain has to tell my body how to move in a certain sequence for a certain purpose in a certain time. So um, I don't know if this is a good example, but how do I put on my pants? That's right. Move this foot into the right leg and this foot into the left leg. And, and I know my kid struggles with it, but he's doing it. But when he pulls up his pants, they're always really crooked. <laughs> <laughs> and there comes the somatosensory system, which is another system. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> another podcast scheduled in a few months. Okay. This is, this is why we, it's, we want to talk about the simple system, but it's never simple, right? You're never just talking about one system because that's the beauty of integration, the beauty of how we were created, you know? And that's so I, all of these pieces together. So I, I'm going to put so many links because you referred to accommodation and we did a podcast called Accommodation versus Remediation where she'll delve into that further. We don't want to take up all the time here to repeat. And I did a, a podcast with Gretchen Kamke, another wonderful OT. I'll say she's my second favorite OT. I hope I'm not offending the other OTs that I know who I can't <laughs> think of right now. Virginia Spielman, she's another favorite. Um, Gretchen and I did one on sensory motor processing and she talked a lot about the sensory integration piece in a lot more detail too. So I'll put a link to that as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting. So if he's trying, so if Praxis, if he's having trouble 
understanding how to do the motor plans for his body and, and what to do next. How do I get from this place to this place? How do I follow the exercises that all the other kids are doing, the jumping jacks? I, I can't do it in sequence and in the same time as the other kids. That's praxis issues. Right. So let's rewind. You said if, if you're using your vision to give your vestibular system the input it needs, but you have praxis issues, then... That's when you compensate that if I can model through looking at you first, then I can repeat it. So I'm using my vision to take in the information to my body. I'm not using the information from within my body to the activity. And that's where the vestibular system comes into play, is that a lot of the kids have trouble really organizing their vestibular system in a good regulated kind of a way. And then they use their visual system to then take in the information with visual movement um, so that the vestibular system can also be fed. And please don't hear me say that that's the only reason this may happen, but it's definitely a part of the equation to look at. So, and there's another piece actually that connects with that also, and that needs to be looked at. And, and in short terms, OTs, we call it VOR reflex, and it's a vestibular ocular reflex. Um, and which actually is a reflex that is made for putting the vis vision system to the vestibular system. And there's specific ways that can be tested for that um, and looking at that. And if that's not in place, that's often a reason also why the visual spatial doesn't come into full being. And so, so there's reason to look at both of them. So visual spatial being when I pulled out of a parking garage with my car beside a cement pillar and turned right to leave the parking garage and scraped the whole right back side of my car, I didn't have the visual spatial awareness that I had to turn out further before I made the right turn. Yeah. Is that visual spatial awareness? That's visual spatial. <laughs> and there's another complicating factor with that. And that's why we have to look at all of these pieces that if the two eyes in an ocular motor way, coming back to the developmental optometrist's work, right? If the, if the two eyes are not working together, and like in your son's case, when he was still suppressing the one eye, right? That means that he loses depth perception. So the two eyes are needed to work together to have depth perception. So sometimes that could be a lack of your car example could be a lack of the visual spatial where the central peripheral is just not kind of gelling together at that moment but it could also be that your son may we you may not have known had you not gotten a good evaluation that um that your son is actually suppressing an eye because many people will not see it if they don't know to look for it but if they can't judge distance between things, if they're afraid to come down the stairs, if they're afraid to jump into a pool where they can't see the, the, the bottom of the pool, you have to also think that, yes, visual spatial maybe, but it could also be depth perception where the two eyes need to be working and fusing together, basically, in the, in, in the activity. And that causes a lot of kids to be very hesitant on curbs and um, and when they have to go down a step and, um, and those types of um, arenas. They don't want to do ladders that's got openings in between. Um, you know, some of you may be recognizing what I'm saying in your own children. 
So two questions, two questions pop into my head, and I don't know if this is where you're going to go next or not, but why is it this way in our kids, and how do we fix it? Well, okay, do we have another three hours? <laughs> so why is it a problem? If or, this- well, well why, why is my son's vestibular system not up to par and integrated with his vision system? Truth is, in his case, he had brain inflammation, but I mean, not all autistic kids have brain inflammation. Absolutely. And the truth is, we don't really know. Okay. There is no real origin for sensory integration difficulties that has been extrapolated from a lot of other different pieces of research. There needs to be a lot more looking at what this is. You know, some people may say it's birth complications. Some people may say something may have happened in utero. And then there is a component of genetics. That That is definitely true. They did found certain genomes of certain genes that, um, depending on the researcher, that it, some point it says 11, then it says 26. It depends what articles you're reading. But there are genomes that can carry from X and Y chromosome, mommy and daddy, um, a, a predisposition to may have having a difficulty. And what we now know from epigenetics, um, types of epigenetics being the way that we can intergenerationally bring things forward from one generation to another. That stays um, suppressed until the environment brings it out it's like turning on a gene that was suppressed for a few generations or something like you could have a gene for cancer but you may never have cancer right right so um so that's so there should still be a whammy that's a nice professional term that i'm everybody's free to use yeah there could still be a whammy that has to go on this predispositioned genomes that causes this to become a full-blown entity now do I keep up with all of the genealogy research? No. Do I keep up with all of the original research? No. But that's as far as I have it. If anybody has different information, please let me know because I'd love to know. But we, uh, there's no real other origin reason. But what we do know is that developmental delay is very, very large all over the globe. Everywhere I train, it's everywhere. It's not something that is only pervasive to a certain population in a certain space and time. It doesn't even have a gender preference. Okay. It's just simply something that's happening. Now, a lot of people are talking about all of this x-rays in the air and um, uh, talking about all of the, the microwaves and the ultrasounds and the stuff in the air that we're doing. A lot of people are talking about diet. Um, um, and saying that we are doing more um, preservatives in our foods these days. We're not taking in as healthy foods as, as earlier. Do I think there's a little bit of something in all of that? Yes. But do we still need a lot of research to figure it out, Daria? That's unfortunately true. Um, and there's so much pseudoscience around all that stuff too. Like so many snake oil salesmen telling you things that just have been absolutely disproven. Um, but then there's so much that's not known as well as what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. I think everything is worth investigating. Um, and I think um, I think the biggest thing that I think I've also said in a previous podcast is to surround yourself with people that you can trust that that will tell you what they know and don't know. Yes. And that will investigate with you and take the journey with you to figure out what is true for your child. Um, I think that's the best advice I can give any family. 
Um, because even with me, I will have a certain bias towards sensory integration, right? But there may be another lens on it as well, as I found out myself, having becoming more involved in trauma work and realized that there's a trauma lens on my sensory kids that I never considered before 2008 is really where my journey with that began. So coming back to the visual system, so how do we help a child who is tripping and falling because they're not seeing properly or, or having the, you know, compensating constantly for their vestibular system through their vision or all of these types of things? What are different things? I know the developmental optometrist gave my son vision exercises that I have the school do with him every day, for example, that has helped. That's right. Now, remember this, your visual system ocular system, visual system is really firmly adapted by the age of five, which means that there's a whole layer of development that comes and precedes that final acquisition of the visual system. So what I do is that I will start with a sensory integration evaluation and I will first work on the vestibular system and how the vestibular system contributes and adapts and integrates the other systems. And then I will go for optometry. Um, and the optometrists that I work with are very was very mad with me in the beginning because they say to me, Maud, you're testing these kids and we have trained your staff to help to screen for these kids and now you don't send them to me. <laughs> and I say to them, just hang on a bit, okay? I'm going to send them to you that you're going to look like gold when you start your VT with them. Okay, your vision therapy, because if you prepare the body, the vision can follow. You need the vestibular system to get that VOR reflex, to get that, that space, dimension, and use the vestibular system in, quote unquote, a balanced way, so that you can use it in balance, for balance, um, and so that the visual system will have a place to hold on to. So... I do send them to autometry, but I first get those pieces as much as you possibly can in place. How do we do that? Good old sensory integration therapy. Good old, uh, I add a lot of dimensions to it. Um, I think that one very good therapy that I've used in my life with great success and that I love is using sound therapy. Sound therapy has, um, especially sound therapy that's got air and bone conduction, as the bone conduction is pure vestibular glory. It's just a glory to work with it. And you get that oomph, um, again, another professional term um, that we can use, but you get that real push into the vestibular system that says the system, ah, here you are, here you are. And then once this, the child can find the vestibular system, they are so much more available for what's going on out there and so much more. And now my visual space can develop. So, and this is why you never really attack visual spatial in the first parts of therapy, your first attack, the stimulus system, somatosensory system, auditory system, you first get those pieces in gear because those are the ones that are available right from the get-go and is, is developed very early. Tactile is developed very early in the womb. Auditory, your ear is fully formed by about five months in utero. Some books say four and a half months. Um, so those pieces we use first, get the body in a place where awareness is there because once I have awareness I can use my body in space that's the progression that we go for coming back though to the FEDCs 
visual spatial develops very much coincidentally with FEDC, functional emotional developmental capacities. See, I'm learning from Daria to explain these little acronyms. So um, uh, when you get to three and four, and especially four, it's like visual spatial is like your ally in four. It's together as you're developing the praxis, because think about the baby crawling and getting into all kinds of stuff and figuring out what to do with this object and that object, rolling the ball, catching the ball, climbing up the stairs, holding onto the coffee table and banging their hand on it. That was my favorite stage. <laughs> it is a cute stage, you know. I don't want to say, is there any not so cute stages? I don't know. But um, but that is a cute stage when they when they start to say, here I am and I'm exploring my little world, right? It's a cute phase. Um, but that's when, when they're banging, they're listening to the sound in the background, when they are standing and cruising towards that thing that they shouldn't be getting to because mommy said, no, but I'm going to get it anyway, right? So when I'm cruising towards that, it's that visual system that's driving that piece, making my movement go. That's where we want that integration. And that sort of coincides from the crawling to the walking, the toddling phase coincides with the beginning of praxis and that beginning of depth perception and, and getting the visual spatial system to do the work. But before we end, I want to make a very important connection, Daria. And this is the piece that I don't hear people talking about enough. You know, I, I still see Greenspan's face in front of me, Dr. Greenspan, when he said, you only conquer FEDC four, well, he didn't say FEDC four, level four. Um, you only conquer level four if you get 60 plus ideas in a session. You know, the FEDC four is the level where we build stories. We have beginning, middle, and end of a story. We're sequencing it out. We're playing that, you know, um, I'm going to be the witch and you're going to be the whatever that's going to be. We start doing that representational thinking and, and pretending that something is real that's not real. That life depends on how I'm visualizing what my visual memory has buried from all of my toy exploration from all of my object exploration that I did in FEDC 1 and 2 into 3. Um, that visualization is built from all those past visual experiences. And now I can conjure up, oh, if I'm going to be a witch, I'm going to need a hat, right? I need to make a hat. I need to find something that could look like a hat, right? Um, if I'm going to be a policeman, hmm, I need a gun, say, those of you who are a little bit afraid of using guns. Um, um, let's just talk that on that another day. Let's say I need a baton, okay? So I'm going to find a broomstick that's going to become my baton, right? That is the visualization that turns into ideation. So many people think that when the child can't come up with the next idea, it's because they don't know sequence, that they can't figure out a second or a third or a fourth step. That can be true. But if they can't visualize, it may be a level different from sequencing. And visualization is when my mind goes alive with abstract thinking. It's a very necessary step for theory of mind 
the perspective taking, understanding that you may have a different thought than I have, a very deep place to be. And visualization is built on what we've just discussed. The fact that we have our eyes that need to coordinate with our vestibular system and the fact that we have visual spatial that supports our visual memory to use that, to retrieve that so that we can use our own ideas in play with strong visualization. I'm going to give a practical example for those of you who have kids who read. So when I'm reading, I'm reading that the blonde girl stood at the green bus stop waiting for the red bus to come around the corner, right? I don't know why I always go to that one. That's maybe because it's easy. So it's a cold and wintry day I'm reading. I'm picturing the blonde girl with maybe long hair or short hair. She may have a coat on. It may be red, black or blue. I'm picturing my picture based on the fact that the words told me it was a cold and wintry day. So my imagination can flesh out the picture. That is one very prime example why it's important that we have visualization. It comes right back to FEDC4. And it's why we have to, have to absolutely work on where is the child's own ideas and is it coming from a lack of sequence? Is it coming from a lack of visualization? Is it coming from that we don't understand visual space? Is it coming from we don't have depth perception? Is it coming from I didn't explore objects enough because my touch system was too defensive? So I never built the visual memory of that exploration. So that is, to me, a crucial piece of doing the DRF work in play especially thinking of symbolic thinking and the whole pretend play action. Okay, I got a slew of stuff coming at you in our last few minutes. So Dr. Tippy talks about and, and we did a podcast called Good Education. Uh, good autism education is just good education, I think is what the podcast is called. I'll put a link to it in the blog post. He talked about the goal of floor time it's very easy to go through the first three FEDCs, functional, emotional, developmental capacities, where, you know, you get regulation, you get the child engaged, you get that gleam in the eye, and then some kind of back and forth communication. Most people who have some kind of rapport with children can get there. But mm. the real work in floor time is what you just talked about, where you can take one product, um, one thing and a second thing and take it in your mind and create a third new thing, that abstract piece. And the way you just described it helped me understand what Dr. Tippy is talking about. So thank you for that. And it's, it's um, that fourth functional emotional developmental capacity where you get those long chains of back and forth interaction and communication and, and you start to develop all of this awareness and you start, there's so many pieces to that. I feel like my son's been working on FEDC4 for like five years now, and he's still stuck. And you just gave me a lot of things to think about because Dr. Tippy watched a video of him playing last December where he clearly is doing imaginary play because he's going, woo, Toad, watch out. Oh, fell into the lava, woo, and he's doing stuff. And Dr. Tippy said he's enacting what he's memorized from his video game but he doesn't seem to yet be coming up with his own ideas. 
So he's reenacting imaginary play and that's the start. And you had told me that before that is in the fourth capacity where you start to do that. And then when it gets more symbolic and abstract, that's when you get into five with your emotional ideas and injecting your own stuff. Um, and he, and then Mike Fields brought up in our aggression podcast a few weeks back that he thinks everything has to do with praxis because if my son is, is having some challenges with how to do things next, it might be difficult to imagine, well, he, you know, um, and, and I was also talking with John Carpente because we're doing a presentation at ICDL's conference coming up and, and he was saying, well, what if you said like, oh, toad fell in the lava, ow, does that hurt? And then, oh, well, does he have to go to the hospital? And then like, you're not gonna give him all these ideas, but like, you're gonna see, you're gonna see what he comes up with and like, well, wait, where is the doctor's office anyway? I wonder if it's open. Is it open or closed? And trying to keep him on that sequence of the same storyline because he was jumping and like John uh, said, carp, carp, his name is Carpente, compartmentalizing all of these ideas, but none of them were joined together. So right. toads flying through the air, jumping in the lava. Then this person's coming over here and doing this and driving on this track and this <clears> and that. <throat> so joining them together into a story but Mike was saying it is the praxis piece where he doesn't necessarily under, okay, well, anyway, I'll throw that out there, but this oh. is his FEDC4 coming together. Yes. And you know his challenges, he has the vestibular challenges constantly needing to move, very difficult to focus and keep attention. We have another podcast on attention and executive function that I'll refer people to that we did a few years ago. And all of these things coming together his vision for sure impacts that. So, I mean, I think that's an example of all the stuff you're talking about. It's a whole mouthful, Daria, <laughs> a whole mouthful, but it's, it's, and all of those are pieces of it. And that's why it's so important that you have somebody at your side, which you are very good at, um, as to find people that can actually define all those different pieces for you. And it takes a team of people. It's never just one person, as you very well know. But the, but the big piece here is, is that, yes, it can be sequenced, it can be praxis, it can be visual, it can be vestibular, it can be all of those pieces, and maybe his attempts to bridge it. And maybe sometimes doing the lava, the way that they do it on the video, is sometimes just a relaxing thing to do because I can easily access my visual memory, which is a cognitive skill. And it's pleasurable because I love Mario Kart and I love all the characters and I love playing the game. That's right. And so the trick is, um, and, and when you're talking about taking the one part and mixing it with the other part and mixing the other part, we call that bridging, right? And bridging one idea to the other idea to the other die to get the string of ideas going. But that's not always so easy. And I think the trick is, is that sometimes you have to support their parasympathetic nervous system, their calm nervous system, to help them to just stay in that abstract in their mind, because you want them to be in their mind. You want them to have that ability to go there. And then you have to do a little bit of a reality check and come in with something, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? And that you sort of bring in something that is not a part of the video story. And you pull them out of that 
And then he ignores you and he looks at you and he goes on with his story. And then you're like, uh-huh, I think I got your number. Uh-huh. Okay. So then you just let him play again and then you bring him back again with some other thought and process. So and it, help him to and help it, him to see that there's there's another piece to this that may be just as enjoyable. And if he can see the joy in that and the fun in that and the humor in that, when you're trying to put Cinderella into his lava story or whatever other character that doesn't belong there, when that starts to happen, that's when you got them. And that's when you can put all of those pieces together. But you're staying in the pretend. You and notice that it's that away from him. And it's all through play. That's right. That's right. And that's why DIR is play-based. We say play-based. And, and Dr. Tippy had said, you know, saying stuff like, why would Bowser throw someone in the lava? I would never do that. <gasps> that sounds terrible. Just to plant that thought in his head, like, wait a sec. What's mom thinking about? I never thought about that before. And he has to start to think. That's right. And some, and just, you know, there's so many ways of doing that. My favorite way is I become one of the characters. Mm -hmm. And so when he throws Mario up in the air, I go, ow, 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 that hurt. Right. I'm sorry. Yep. I probably too loud. Um, but I do that because they're like, okay. Right. And, and then when, when you get them there, you're like, oh, Right. And if you want to take them to a different tack, you may take them that, oh, I'm hurt. Right. So they must come and help and help you to where the hurt is. Right. Otherwise, I can't go on to the fun of playing because this mod gal is lying on the floor screaming murder here. Unless so they I think it's funny and then they continue to hurt you over and over again and laugh, <laughs> which my son also likes to do. <laughs> That's right. So um, so then, you know, then you have to sort of find your way out of that one into a new place. <laughs> But it's to switch them out of the built sequence. That's really what we're talking about. However way you want to deflect them from it, whether you add a new piece in the story, whether you counter them verbally and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I'm confused. I can't tell you how many of my kids on the floor learn to say I'm confused exactly in the way that Ms. Maud always says it. Because I used it quite a lot, apparently. So and you used it with affect and <laughs> affect is what we use right. to capture that, you know, engagement. And so they remember it and they say it in the same way. My, my son has all the floor time phrases that people use against him memorized exactly in the exact tone and affect that it's said to him and he loves repeating it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. People do not forfeit, pretend an abstract ideational play for her the sake of learning material that doesn't have abstract value to the child. You know, all of us learn by what we're motivated to learn. Um, I didn't become a lawyer because really, really not me. I didn't become accountant because I would have been horrible at numbers. I became a therapist because I love people and because I love having this interaction. Well, the children are no different. So if we build on the things that they are interested in and we build the ideation around that and we feed into what feeds them, oh my goodness, it is like gold explodes in front of you. I want to tell you a short story and then I have to go, Daria. Sure. My therapist was doing the DR work 
And so this three-year-old was had to problem solve. And she was like, how are we going to do this? Right. So on FEDC4, you love to ask how questions because that helps with praxis and ideation, right? Um, where why questions comes more under FEDC five and six. But the um, so it was how are we going to do this? You know, and she's posing this question and then she's putting her hands in her sides. And then the little three year old just looks up at her, puts her hands in her sides, and she says, Google it. <laughs> Oh, that that's a very 2022 example. <laughs> it was I said, where have we gone in the 21 years <laughs> I'm in practice? Okay, that I had to get the Google it, you know, <laughs> that if we want to solve a problem, you just Google it. You don't have to think of it yourself anymore, right? Anyway, that was a that was a funny happening. But um but really it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Daria. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, you can find all the information that we talked about at affectautism.com on the link for the latest podcast. And uh, hopefully uh, you learned a lot. I learned a lot. Thank you again, Maude. And I hope we'll talk real soon. We will. Take care. Bye-bye. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code Affect A15. That's A F F E C T A 15. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day.